one. And um, so, as I say, as I said at the start, I, um, I thought, well, I'll pick a, an uncontroversial subject to speak to this morning. I thought, well, let's go with love and marriage, because uh, that's, um, that's an easy topic. So, so that's what we're going to um, explore this morning. So I have to say... I have to say, I mean, I'm always, always, whenever I stand up to preach, I'm always, I always feel a little bit nervous, uh, even though I've been doing it for 32 years. Um, and literally every time, I always feel a bit nervous, because uh, you're very scary. And, uh, but I do feel particularly nervous this morning, because it's a subject where there are you know, very, very strongly held views and, and opinions, and um, my task really is, is quite simple. Uh, uh, and I just want to share two, just a couple of verses, sort of by way of introduction. The first is from Paul's letter. We will get to Genesis, don't worry. Um, Paul's letter to, to Timothy 3.16, a verse that some of you will know very, very well. Paul is writing to Timothy, his young protege. And in 3.16, he says this to him. He says, all scripture is God-breathed, inspired by God. And is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So that's what Paul says to Timothy. He says, all scripture. What does Paul have in mind? Well, what he has in mind is the Old Testament because that's the scriptures that he has. So everything from Genesis to Malachi, that's what Paul has in mind when he says all scripture is inspired by God. So that's why this book is not just called the Bible, a library. It's called the Holy Library because it's a, it's a holy book. The words have been inspired by God. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have to think about them. It doesn't mean we don't have to wrestle with them and interpret them and understand them. But it does mean that every word in this book has authority to speak into our lives. So that's the first just uh, little proviso. Uh, second thing, I thought, oh, I need to get Ezekiel in somewhere. So here's a little Ezekiel reference. Uh, that uh, when we started the series in Ezekiel, we looked at chapter one and chapter two. Remember, Ezekiel has this, has this sort of encounter with the living God. He's brought into the glory of God and he falls flat on his face because that's what you do in the presence of God. He falls face down. And God says to him, basically, he says, he says I've got a message that I'm going to give to you. And you then need to give it to other people. So he puts it in these terms, the beginning of chapter three of Ezekiel. He says, son of man, that's Ezekiel, eat what is before you. Eat this scroll, then go and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me the scroll to eat. Then he said, son of man, eat this scroll I'm giving you and fill your stomach with it. So I ate it and it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. Then he said to me, son of man, go now to the house of Israel and speak my words to them. So... The task, of, the task of the preacher is basically to eat this book and regurgitate it. So, I mean, not literally, but you kind of, it's the, so if you don't like it, have words with him, not me. So you're basically saying, don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> so, I'm just really trying to cover myself because I don't want to upset anybody. So, um, and uh, let me just say, uh, there's some things I was going to say at the end, but I think, I, I think the Lord wants me to say them at the beginning, so let me say them at the beginning. Number one uh, is that homophobia in all its forms is utterly abhorrent. Discrimination in all its forms is utterly abhorrent. And uh, by the time I've finished what I, the Lord's given me to say, what I think his word says, by the time I've finished, some people will accuse me of homophobia and speech hate. 
But I would say up front, homophobia in all its forms is utterly abhorrent and discrimination in all its forms is utterly abhorrent. There is no place for it. And uh, where the church has fallen and does fall into that, it is abhorrent and needs to be repented of and turned from. That's the first thing. Uh, uh, second thing is that everyone is welcome at Bolney Village Chapel. I often say this. Anyone can walk through those doors and everyone is welcome. And everyone who comes, we will, we will embrace and we will love and we will walk alongside because that's what God does. And, and that's what we do. But... Again, I often say we're a community of people who are, who are wanting to live in conformity with God's revelation. So the goal of my life is for my life to conform to what God has shown me in this book. I'm not there. Till my dying day, I won't be there. We're all at different stages in that journey. And some of us are here and some of us are there. And what we do is, is on the journey, we are, allow the Lord to challenge us and convict us and we cheer each other on. Uh, we do not stand in judgment of each other. We cheer each other on and we pick each other up when we fall flat on our faces. But we allow this book and God's revelation to challenge us and convict us. And I want to live according to this book. But I can't sit in judgment over anybody else because, because I'm, not, I'm just not perfect. I'm, I'm not there. So that was the second or third thing of three things I wanted to say, but there's another. So um, the other thing I wanted to say is that all human sexuality is fallen and in need of redemption. All human sexuality is broken and in need of redemption. Whether you are heterosexual, whether you are same-sex attracted, all our sexuality is fallen and in need of redemption. And uh, my sexuality is, is broken and fallen and in need of redemption. And so I don't live according to my impulses and desires and wants. I try and conform my impulses and desires and wants to what God has revealed in this book. And that involves me making choices about the way I live my life. So does that make sense so far? Is that, I'm, just, uh, I'm just sort of, these are all the, um, I'm just trying to cover myself so that we're so going to say you don't want to shoot the messenger. So let me, um, let me read. I'm going to read from Genesis 2. Uh, 15 to 25, let me read this and uh, then uh, we're just trying to unpack it a bit and we're going to go back in Genesis 1 a bit. So, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. The Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. 
Father, thank you for your words to us this morning. Would you, would you help us to hear your voice uh, alone? For Jesus' sake. Amen. 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 So um, uh, I love uh, politics. I've always sort of followed politics. I, one of my A-levels was in government and political studies. And uh, so I, lo- I love reading political biographies. And uh, so a few a couple of years ago, I got um, uh, David Cameron's biography of his, his life and his time as prime minister. And uh, you'll know that under, you know, when David Cameron was, was prime minister, they passed legislation to legalise same-sex marriage in the, in the state. And uh, there's a chapter in his, uh, in his book, for the, On the Record, or For the Record, and the, the title of the chapter is Love is Love, which I think is a, just, is a, is a nonsense title. It's a nonsense title, and I'm, I'm puzzled that he called the chapter Love is Love because I presume he's a very intelligent person and, and thinks a lot about things. But actually, you can't define something by itself. You can't define something by itself. You have to know what the thing is. So it was like when, um, when Liz Truss said, uh, uh, not Liz Truss, sorry, bless her, love her. Uh, no, um, uh, uh, um, previous one. Oh, my brain. Theresa May, that's the one. Yeah, no, Theresa May. When she, she, said, she said, Brexit means Brexit. And everyone's scratching their heads thinking, yeah, but we've no idea what Brexit is. So you, know, you can't define a thing by itself. You can say, well, you know, a book is a book. Yeah, but what's a book? So, so to say love is love is actually a, a meaningless statement unless you've defined what you think love is. And, and that's kind of the, the assumption in calling the, the chapter love is love is David Cameron had a definition of love that he was applying. Well, the Bible says that God is love. The Bible doesn't say love is love. It says God is love. And that's a whole different ballgame. That's a completely different ballgame, because then you've got to think, well, okay, well, well who is God? Who is, who is God? Uh, what is God? Where is God? Uh, how has, what is he revealed? What kind of a God is he? If God is love, then I need to understand who God is. So, um, so what I want to try and do in uh, as few minutes as possible is just unpack what I think the early chapters of Genesis say. Now, I love the, fa- I love the way that... God's fingerprints are all over creation. God's fingerprints are all over creation. And I'm going to give you an example of how we see that. So Genesis chapter 1, the first two verses of Genesis chapter 1 read like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. Now, bear in mind, as Paul has told Timothy, all scripture is inspired by God. So the priestly writers who wrote this were inspired by God in what they wrote. And in the English, we miss something that's in the Hebrew. Because what is in the Hebrew is the nouns are either feminine or masculine. The nouns are given gender. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God, Elohim, masculine. Elohim is a, is, a, is a masculine noun. Elohim, masculine, created the heavens and the earth. And the spirit of God, Ruach, feminine, was hovering over the waters. So immediately you see in the Godhead, both male and female, who are distinct but complementary within the Godhead. One God, three distinct persons, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. But 
within the Godhead, everything that we would think of as male and female. And that's reflected in the Hebrew text. In the beginning, God, Elohim, masculine, created the heavens and the earth. And then the spirit of God, Ruach, female, feminine, was hovering over the waters and brought order out of curse. Now, it's all God. There's only one God. But within one God, we see Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And within one God, we see masculine and feminine coming together. And when they come together, what happens? Let there be light. Now, where's the fingerprint? Where's the fingerprint in creation? Here's the fingerprint. And I'm looking to Carl to back me up because it's medical. And it's, um, if, you're, if you're a nervous disposition, you might have to put your fingers in your ears because it's going to be a little bit biological. But um, so did you know that when, when the male sperm, if I can say that in church, when the male sperm fertilizes the female egg, there is light. That's true, isn't it? There is, there is light. Because, I'm again looking to call for confirmation, there are, there are millions of zinc molecules that basically explode. And it's like a firework show, which can go on for like two hours. So, and it's, it's kind of been filmed. It's amazing. So, so literally, when in the human body, when the male sperm meets the, um, the female egg, there's like a firework display, which can go on for like two hours. And the healthier the egg, the bigger the display. Well, so, so there you go. So Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, you have, you have male and female coming together in union and creating light. And God's fingerprint is bosh in what he has created. And so it's, it's, it's seen. So, so, so ladies, you contain fireworks. Yeah, we'll leave that there. So... Uh, so, 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 there is, so right at the very, very beginning. So, so for me, when we're, you know, when we're thinking about um, love and marriage, you've got to kind of think, well, well what, what, how has God created things? What was there in the beginning? And in the beginning, what God has revealed in his inspired word is that within the Godhead, there's this, this maleness and this femaleness working together to produce light. And that fingerprint is in the way we are created because it literally happens. So let me just uh, whiz on a bit in uh, uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So in the beginning was God. And within the Godhead was Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And in the God, within the Godhead was everything that we would think of as being male and female. And then God, because he is loving expresses his love in creation. So everything that God has created is an expression of his love. And that includes us. We, every molecule in our bodies is an expression of God's love. So whatever else you may hear this morning, hear that, that you are loved by God. Every molecule in your body is precious to God because he created you. He created you. And God said, let us make man in our image. Interesting, let God, God said, let us. Well, who's the us? 
Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Immediately you see a reference to, to the Trinity and the fact that God knows all about love because God has always loved within himself. Because the Father has always loved the Son and loved the Holy Spirit. And the Son has always loved the Father and the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has always loved the Father and the Son. So before God created anything, he was all love. He was all about love. And God, he cannot not love. There are certain things that God can't do and not loving is one of them. It's the essence of who he is. Creates us in his image. And how does he create Uh, Male and female. That's God's creation. He creates male and female, two genders. And he blesses them and says, be fruitful and increase the the number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea. So, you see the pattern here. And this is before anything went wrong. This is God's perfect creation. Male and female are created to be a reflection of God's image, to reflect the character of God, to... Uh, live together in uh, kind of joint regency over the world. That's the original creation, is that men and women rule together under God's sovereignty. That's what he says. Created man in his own image, uh, male and female. He blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. So as God creates his... His nature is being reflected in what he creates. So in his nature, there's male and female that work together in union to produce light. And in the created world, God creates male and female to work together. Now, in chapter two, we get a different but complementary account of creation. And it fills in it fills in some of the gaps. And so we see that verse 15 of chapter two, that God takes this earth man that he's made And puts it in the garden to work it, to rule over it. That's what we've just seen in chapter one. And he's in perfect relationship with God. The first man is in perfect relationship with God. There's no wrongdoing. There's no sin. There's nothing happened that's that's spoiled the world. He's in this beautiful relationship with God. God loves him and he loves God. And the symbol of that is this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God says, you can do anything you like. Just don't eat from that tree. And because the tree is there, this this earth man, he knows that he loves God. He knows that it's a real relationship. Because if he wanted to, he could disobey God. So he's in this perfect relationship. But here we go, verse 18. It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, when we read the word helper, I remember in... um, uh, I think in the early 1970s, there was, there was a, 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 a sort of women's liberation magazine that was called Spare Rib. Uh, because because it, was, it was kind of fighting for women's rights. And, and the, kind of the implication was that, that women were, were kind of inferior and basically just around to, you know, to help men along. And, uh, you know, when my mum left, left home and went to work in London at the age of 14, uh, she went to work in a big house as the maid of all works. Uh, you know, she did cooking and cleaning and, and all of that. But she was the maid of all works. And there are some men who think that that's why women were created, to be the sort of maid of all works. That's not why women were created. And that's not the implication of uh, woman coming out of man. God looks at this man that he's created in which he has invested his image. And he says, it's not good because we are created for relationship. 
That's why we love being in relationships, because we are, we are social beings. We love being in relationship. We love having friends. We, we love loving and we love being loved. This is why relationships are so, so important to us and why we get so passionate about relationships, because it's, we're not made, we're not created to be on our own. Uh, the word helper, it's also used in Psalm 115 verse 9. And in Psalm 115 verse 9, we read, O house of Israel, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. So it's the same word. So when, uh, when God says it's not good for man to be alone, he needs a helper. He's not saying he needs a, you know, a scullery maid, a maid of all works. He's saying he needs someone like me. He needs someone with you know, divine attributes. A helper as, you know, as God was a helper to, to, to the earth man. We are to be helpers for each other. And I love this, I love this little bit about from verse 19, where there's this kind of search for a suitable helper. Who can be found to help this first earth man? And uh, so they look around all the beasts of the field and the birds of the air, and they, you know, everyone, every, all the animals are brought along. And then the end of verse 20, for Adam, no suitable helper was found. No suitable helper was found. In all of creation, it seems there's no suitable helper. So what's going to happen? Is this earth man going to be lonely and alone forever? What, how, what, how is God going to solve this problem? Well, the way that God solves the problem is to take this earth man and basically divide, divide him into two. And divide him into male and female. Separate them. So both are invested with the image of God. Both are created in the image of God. Male and female, he created them. And both of them are drawn to each other because built into creation is this idea of, of um, uh, co-equal, uh, complementary opposites. Co-equal, complementary opposites. They're co-equal under God. There's no sense in the creation accounts that that, that women are subservient to men or the other way around. There's a subservience only to God. And both are drawn together because of the way in which they are created. So Adam says, the man says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked And they felt no shame. So that's God's original design. That's God's original creation. And for me, that is what what marriage is. I believe that's how the Bible describes marriage. as As this union of male and female that together are caught up in God's creation. And are somehow caught up in the fabric of the universe. One of the things I think we have... What, what's happened in our, in our culture is we have, we've so devalued marriage that we think differently about it. Uh, you know, uh, the marriage commitment now in our society requires the same commitment as a mobile phone contract. This marriage, since the law was changed last year, if you, you can go into marriage in the same way that you can go into a mobile phone contract, because it's... Well, 12, 12 months. It's 12 months. 
You can get a mobile phone contract for 12 months and then you can walk away. And the law was changed last year, so marriage is the same. So after 12 months of marriage, you can walk away. Uh, no fault divorce. You don't have to give a reason. You can do 12 months and you say, I can get a better deal somewhere else and just walk away. Literally. Now that's how, and, and that's what our culture has done and that's what our society has done because we've, we've, so, we've taken something so precious and so amazing and we've just, we've just got this kind of consumer mentality about it and we're just, well, well, I want it to be so if it doesn't work, I can just walk away. Well, just think about God's footprint in creation, the way that God has revealed himself in creation. If you're married, it's not just about you and the fact that you, you, know, you love your wife, you love your husband. It's, it's actually the fact you're, you are caught up in the fabric of creation. And that's what marriage does. And that's why throughout the Bible, what's one of the primary images for the relationship between God and his people? It's marriage. Literally in almost every book of the Bible, you will find that analogy. And it's used as this joining together of two things which are distinct and different, but complementary. And from the beginning to the end of the Bible, it's the same. And so sometimes people look at the Old Testament and say, well, that was the Old Testament. We don't have to do that anymore. You know, Jesus never talked about this stuff, did he? Well, yes, he did talk about this stuff. Uh, Matthew chapter 19, verse 4. Haven't you read, Jesus replied... That at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one uh, separate. So Jesus reaffirms what we read in Genesis. He says, this is the way things were created to be. Uh, Last book of the Bible, I love the fact that from beginning to end, you see the same thing. So uh, I often, often read this because it's such a beautiful passage from Revelation 21, a picture of what it will be like when Jesus returns and creation is restored. And we read in Revelation 21, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. A bride beautifully dressed for her husband it's there in genesis chapter 1 verses 1 and 2 and it's there in revelation chapter 1 chapter 21 verse 1 the brides and the groom coming together that's that's marriage and to be married is to be caught up in the fabric of god now some will listen to all that i've just said and accuse me of hate speech and homophobia and uh, sometimes I preach these things with slight nervousness because they go online and uh, <laughs> eventually someone will discover what I've preached and I'll be in trouble but, uh, but as I said so, you know it's about eating this book and regurgitating it and, and under God that's you know that's what I seek to do but I hope those of you that know me would know that that's that's not who I am I don't hate anybody I'm not homophobic I've got same-sex attracted friends i wish there's a bit of it i wish i wish it was different i wish i didn't have to preach this stuff i wish i could read this book and say you can do what you like you can marry who you like it doesn't matter but i i can't hand on heart i can't and um but when i preach it i i don't do so in any sense of 
judgment over anyone else who's living living different. I'm just saying, this is what I think this book says. And, and I fall short in so many ways. And my human sexuality falls short of what is in this book. And I have to repent all the time for the way I express my sexuality, which doesn't conform to what's in this book. But that's my life. I love Jesus. And I want to be like him. I want to live like him. And so I allow this book to, to challenge me. And it's hard. It's really hard living according to this book. It's tough choices. It's not easy. But we start with this. And then we, and then we, and then we, try, and conform, uh, we try and conform to it. The last thing I want to say is that one of the mistakes that I think our culture makes or has made is that we, we think that in order to be fulfilled as a human being... You need to be able to express yourself and express your relationship sexually. So in order to be fulfilled, you should be allowed to sleep with whoever you like. Because you're just, you know, it's a human desire, it's a human urge, you should just be able to express it. So, so if I don't sleep with whoever I want to sleep with, I'm denying, I'm denying myself some kind of fulfilment. And we've kind of bought into that. Well, where do we actually find uh, fulfilment? We find fulfilment in Christ. We find our identity in Christ. When I got married, I thought my, I thought my identity and security was in Christ. Because I went through a period where I knew it wasn't. And so I took some time out because I thought, I need to know that the most important thing is that God loves me. And I got to a point where I really thought I, I understood that. And I really thought I kind of was secure in that. And then I got married. And then I realised I was mistaken. And I realised that I was looking for my wife to give me the security and the identity and the fulfilment that there was just a void in my heart that needed filling. And I went into marriage thinking that my wife would be able to fill that void. And of course, she couldn't because she wasn't designed to do so. Because we're not designed to fill that void. Only Jesus can fill that void. In order to be fulfilled, we need relationship with Jesus, that's where we find fulfilment. Jesus never got married. I mean, he had an advantage because he was God, but he never got married. So it can't be you know, that's a fulfilment. What, does, what did Paul discover? Paul, he wrote to Timothy about scripture being God-breathed. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh... I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I have been crucified with Christ. All my desires, all my wants, all my sexuality, all my... I, it's crucified before Christ and I, I live for him. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. The sadness is, when you first put your trust in Jesus, it's not like all the old just suddenly disappears and all the new suddenly appears by magic. And you're like, woo, isn't this lovely? I mean, it is lovely. But it's a journey. It's a journey of, of, of living out the reality of that, that the, the old ways, the old desires gradually fall away and the new creation comes to the fore. So, uh, hello. Are you all right? Are you having fun? Didn't make her cry. That's good. So, um, so what I want to do this morning, and what I want you to 
what you want to hear above all else is that our God is a God of love. And in his love, he has created and designed the world to function in a particular way. And he's, he's in, invested his, his love by giving us this gift of marriage. And marriage, marriage is it's the most beautiful gift. It's the most precious, it's the most wonderful thing. Because it's not just about two people saying, oh, I love you and I want to be committed to you. It's about joining in with the fabric of creation. And every what's amazing about marriage is because when you see two people married, it's actually like a neon sign. It's like a, it's like a, uh, it's like a huge signpost that points to the relationship God wants with us. That's, that's what it's about. Now, having said all of that, um, I know, and uh, some of us know, know the grief of marriages that have not been as they were intended to be. And uh, some of us in this room know the, just the heartache of that and the fact that we live in a world which is fallen and broken and need of redemption and marriages that have come to an end. And it's, 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 as, as marriages are kind of built into the fabric of creation, so when they, they come apart, it's, it's, uh, it's more than just two people drifting apart. It's about almost this kind of... It grieves the heart of God. It's like this tear in the heart of God that's something so beautiful. But what, what is Jesus all about? He's about redemption. It's about forgiveness. It's about restoration. It's about the fact that despite our brokenness, we can still come and come and find healing in his presence and restoration in his presence. And so that's why we, we can never judge anybody. We can never sit in judgment. We don't convict anybody but he does and this book does and uh, as I said at the start I hope that this chapel community is a place where we we come before God where we're we're challenged we're convicted uh, but we cheer each other on we never judge each other we just cheer each other on Uh, we pick each other up and uh, we don't sit in judgment and where we disagree you know we can disagree but without disrespecting one another we can you know we're on a journey together So let's rejoice in God's goodness and rejoice in marriage and celebrate marriage and pray for those who are married. But know that God's a God of redemption, that he loves us and he comes to heal and restore. So let's take a few moments. Um, I've said a lot and we've thought about a lot of things and just want to take a few moments for us to...